0: Welcome to WildWild.com. podcast for those involved in designing, developing, and running websites. Designing, developing, and running websites.
1: That makes three funniest This is what everybody wants for. This is what everybody wants for.
0: Welcome to the 103rd episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag, and with me is... And my name's oh, Marcus Lillington. Oh, we were, we were nearly slick then. Yeah, then it, but oh, we ruined it. And
1: it, we get, it. I, I think 103rd, it's, the numbers are getting too big now. I think you just need to sort of say every tenth one or something.
0: Or we could just drop the numbers entirely and go for names, because we always give them names, don't we? Like That's true. today is called Bargain Basement. The names aren't very meaningful. but <laughs> Very, very rarely. I've, why, why is it Bargain Basement, Paul? Because my section is on um, Bargain Basement usability testing today. I'm going to look at how to do usability testing on a budget. Okay. So there you go. I, and did you notice the seamless way there that we went into what I was doing for the show?
1: Yeah, just I didn't notice it. Well, it was that seamless, that's why. I'm in a kind of not noticing much morning, actually. Why? What's wrong with you, you then? Go. I don't know. Just everything seems like so much hassle this morning. Oh. I don't know. I think it's because I'm so gutted that I'm not speaking at South by Southwest. Well, you know, they only allow talented speakers
0: there. <laughs> Paul is. So you are. So how does that stand up? Well, obviously, I'm the talented one. This is something we know. Yes, so um, you, could, you could be bitter and twisted and blame all of our BOAG Ward listeners for not overwhelming I them with votes. I wouldn't there, dream of doing that. There were like 730 plus submissions, so it's not entirely yeah. surprising that you, yours didn't get picked. For
1: 720 places, yeah. Mm, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so what are you doing on the show then? Me? Uh, I'm talking about how messy my office is. i really am does this in any way relate to web design in a very very tenuous way it's responding to an audio question Ah. uh, from from a listener so it must be kind of slightly i suppose
0: yeah well i think working environments environments, yeah working environments are an important part of any profession really so yes (laughs) there we go that'd be good um we're not going to have an expert on today um, I'd like to claim it was because I had something better to put on the show, but it's simply that um, I was away on holiday and forgot to record any. Um, so instead, I've got a review of, of what is that?
1: Our... We've run out of experts, that's what it is. We've
0: run out. There are no more Use experts in the world. I don't think we have used them all. We could get Stephen Hawkins on. Yeah, but what's he know about web design? He probably knows an awful lot about web He probably design. knows an awful lot about everything, doesn't he, really? Yeah. So, so instead, we're going to review um, a tool for kind of creating site maps and stuff like that. I think, Marcus, you're going to love this tool. I think, because mm-hmm. you do a lot of information architecture stuff, and I think you're really I- going to like this one. Ah. So there we go. Something you're- I'm
1: interested in for a time. Yeah,
0: you might actually pay attention. Yeah. So, um, we're going to, yeah, talking about the Ask an Expert session, we're going to change up the show a little bit um after christmas and we're going to do some some different stuff um we are going to kind of combine my section and marcus's section into just a feature and we're going to take it in turns to do something there um and then we're going to extend the ask an expert section just to allow it to be a little bit longer um and we're going to kind of make it a three-way discussion rather than just like an interview that i do so so that should be interesting i'm looking forward to doing that I've already got a couple of uh, people lined up to do that. So that'd be fun. Marcus gets to meet some new people. Make new friends, Marcus. That'd be nice.
1: Exciting, it? although I'm a little bit nervous. Are you nervous? Like, uh, you know, new new day back at school, new school. Yeah, big school. A bit scared, but then it's okay. It's yeah,
0: it all works out all right in the end. Unless, yeah. of course, one of our guests is that huge big bully that steals your lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're stuffed. Okay, so let's kick off the show with our news section.
1: But,
0: so the first news story for today um, is that there seems to be a lot being written at the moment about the subject of JavaScript, um, which is really good, especially for people like myself, um, who've kind of grasped the basics of JavaScript and need to move on to the next level. A lot of the stuff that's being written at the moment, it's kind of aimed at that kind of person. Um, First, there is a post by Christian Hellman entitled JavaScript Shortcuts that is aimed at teaching dummies like me how to code better. It's actually a really good article, and it's kind of helped me grasp some of the kind of concepts that enable you to shortcut some of the um, code you're doing and make it shorter and more efficient. So I've learned stuff about arrays and if statements and things like that. So go and check that out. Um, It'll save you. Probably a few hundred lines of code before too long, I'm sure. There's also another excellent post uh, which lays out the basic rules of unobtrusive JavaScript, which I imagine is great for those of you that are kind of old-school JavaScript coders that need to be a bit more up-to-date with this unobtrusive thing, whatever that may be. Um, most of the points that uh, he covered are fairly obvious, to be honest, Um Especially if you've already encountered unobtrusive JavaScript. But there are some nice little extras. For example, um, he says uh, w- uh, that you should work for the next developer and make maintenance easier f- uh, by writing logical code with clear variables and function names and comments where necessary, um, which I think is really good practice and maybe something that, well, certainly I probably don't do as much as I should. I know what a variable called FRED means, even if nobody else does. So (laughs) that's what's important. Finally, PPK has updated his DOM compatibility table that catalogues browser support for various DOM modules. Now, I have to be honest... And confess that some of this went over my head. But it was still kind of fairly useful, and um, it helped me kind of understand why maybe some of my JavaScript doesn't work in certain browsers, because I've discovered that, that certain things that I use are not compatible with those browsers. So, you know, if you're starting to have trouble with your JavaScript, it might be worth checking out his DOM compatibility table. Now, obviously, as with all of the stories that we mentioned on the show, you can get to uh, the links that I've mentioned here at our show notes, which are available at boagworld.com forward slash podcast. And you're looking for show 103 marked, as I've already said, Bargain Basement. Okay, next story up is a story from the guys over at Blue Flavor. Um, that have got into this kind of um, uh, series of posts at the moment where they're answering questions. And, and this week they're answering the kind of million-dollar question, which is, what makes great design? Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure really it's a question that can be answered. But they have a hell of a good go anyway. So you
1: know. Yeah, I, I saw this one. You
0: saw this one. Did you agree with what they'd written? Yes,
1: I have thought- honest. Yeah. So it was really well, well done.
0: Yeah, it was. So it's an interesting read because as you read through it, there's a kind of a lot of criterias um, that r- really make you think about your own approach to web design. So they kind of list criteria of what makes great design. And, you know, I read through it, and it's really made me kind of think about how I approach design. Um, I think probably the reason it made me think so much about it is because um, some of these things I don't do, and I don't do very well. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the times that you kind of fail to do the things on this list is for reasons beyond your control. Um, according to Blue Favor, and I, I have to agree, great design isn't produced by committee. Well, we kind of all know that, don't we? But sometimes mm-hmm. you've got no control over that. Another example is great design um, is about paying attention to detail. Um, but, you know, a lot of the projects that I work on don't have enough budget assigned to design to, ne- to enable you to kind of, you know, give that attention to detail. Nevertheless, it is a really good article, and it points, um, it's a good thing to point clients at to say why they need to pay you more to do design, you know, and, and why they shouldn't do design on committee, and, you know, why time needs to be given to this kind of thing if they want to make their design stand out from the crowd. So go, go and check that article out
1: at Blue Flavour. Yeah, there was a great quote on that that like, I'm just looking for. Okay. What was that I then, Marcus? <laughs> talk, talk amongst yourselves. You I'm see, now
0: this is what you do. You uh, should have looked uh, up the uh, thing straight away and then I wouldn't yeah, need to be no. filling
1: right now. Well, you know, Boag World should be a bit quicker, shouldn't it? Hey.
0: Are you blaming my site? Well, do, you don't need to go to Boag World to get to this. You just need to go to the Blue Flavour website. No. And th- let's not even get into why Boag World is not running really quicker. <laughs> If you have experienced technical problems with using BOAG World, we have now reached a point of understanding why you've experienced problems. And basically, it boils down to the fact that flipping movable type seems to hog um, CPU cycles for some reason. So we are Mm. in the process of resolving the problem. Honestly, Gov. I'm not waiting any longer. I've filled long enough, Marcus. I'm now moving on. You missed yeah, I'm just going to start talking
1: at some point later when I find it.
0: Randomly. Okay, yeah. next news story, um, which is really kind of follows on, on the subject, from the subject of great design. Uh, is And the idea that great design is in, in the details, so to speak, uh, is an article that I've just read by Garrett um, D- Dimon. I think you pronounce it Dimon. Um, on digital web now Garrett I I just I I think Garrett's work is amazing and I I think he's superb at what he does he's he's basically an information architect um, and he's got an amazing eye for detail Uh, And so in this particular article, he talks about how small changes um, have a significant effect on your site. So it's that, you know, having an eye for detail. And in particular, he's looking at web forms. um, And he uses the registration form from eBay as an example of how small alterations can improve usability and readability. By tweaking things like position of labels, the division of fields, um, the weight of headings, the spacing between field elements, he turns at what is to be honest, a very average form into something that is so much more accessible and easy to use. So it really is a brilliant article for kind of inspiring you that detail is important. And let's face it, forms are tricky things um, and most designers hate working with them. However, reading this article should inspire you when it comes to tackling the next form that you have to do. Okay, so the final news story today Um, And talking of inspiration, really, and being inspired, um, is another one by Blue Flavor. Blue Flavor, I'm really enjoying their stuff at the moment. This time, they're talking about um, how to go about building a reserve of inspiration that you can draw upon when you come to doing design. And inspiration is a subject that I've come back to on a lot of times and for good reason. It's very easy uh, for designers to become formulaic in what they do. And it's important that we're constantly looking for new sources of inspiration. And this article is um, itself very inspiring with a number of ways you can find inspiration that I hadn't previously considered. So although it covers some of the obvious stuff like keep a sketchbook or photograph things that kind of cause you to pause and think, oh, wow, that's that's cool. Um, It also suggests that you do things like looking through cookbooks um, and even standing on your head. Seriously, they suggest that you should stand on your head. Um, That hurts. It does hurt. But what they're talking about is changing your perspective. (laughs) Well, that does
1: that literally,
0: doesn't it? Yeah. And they do mean (laughs) it literally as well, that that sometimes changing your environment, changing your perspective helps. And I have to say, I kind of know what they're talking about. I don't do it so much, probably because I'm getting old now. But when I when I used to work at IBM um, and we were designing stuff uh, and um, and we were tr- we were doing very creative stuff there, believe it or not, even though I was at IBM, um, I used to do things like I'd sit on the top of the cupboard sometimes or I'd sit under the desk um, and I, it, I know it sounds uh, uh, pathetic, doesn't it? But it really made a difference. So good article.
1: I love when I was a kid lying on the sofa upside down and and seeing that the ceiling was the floor.
0: Yeah. That's- yeah, see, it all yeah. helps. Yeah. So I'm not convinced that all of these ideas may be uh, good in every situation. Um, and, and certainly I'm not, I'm not convinced that they work for everybody. But if you're going through a dry patch, then it's definitely worth a read. Um, and maybe you'll find yourself standing on your head, which is always a good thing. So there you go. Did you find that link in the end, Marcus, or have you just given up entirely?
1: Uh, I found it, but it wasn't to do with the article you were talking about. So oh. I thought I'll, I'll just shut up. What was it to do with then? It was, something to, it was the IBM quote somebody made about it. Do you want it cheap, fast, or reliable? Pick oh, yeah. two. You can
0: have two of the three, yeah. yeah. It's a really famous it one It
1: wasn't to do with design. So I've read that recently, but I've, you know, brain mashed. Yes. Uh,
0: but it's still a very true comment
1: and very funny.
0: Okay, so let's move on with the next segment of the show which i think is going to be marcus are you ready marcus is your office yeah. suitably organized in order for you to do your segment <laughs> no i didn't think it, is, it really isn't just just uh, before we get into it i want to say if ever there's a time to check out the show notes it's this week and you'll mm. see why in a minute
1: but okay um <laughs> Stop laughing. We got this, um, uh, this audio question. We always like audio questions um, through. I d- didn't catch the guy's name, but um, thank you anyway. Um, here's the question.
0: Hey, Marcus. Hey, Paul. What do you think is the best environment for coding? Should your desk be spotless or should it be a chaotic mess where only you can find anything? Do you find it is helpful to snack while coding and designing, etc., etc.? Continue the good work and don't let the ego get too big. Thanks for your time.
1: Okay, that's my kind of question. Nice and lightweight and easy to answer, I think. Um, I'm going to swing. Hey, sir, this hang a little... on a minute.
0: How, how can you speak about coding and coding environments?
1: Listen, listen, listen to what I have to say, Paul, and all will become clear. Okay. Okay. Hey, stop interrupting. you Find me doing that. No, never. <laughs> I'm going to swing this a little wider. Okay. Okay. And look at working environments in general, rather than just concentrating on my own desk. Although I kind of do look at that. Uh, and you also may remember that coding isn't my strong suit. But <laughs> but, um, but I think we all need to. Um, uh, yeah, it's good to review what our working environment is uh, and that kind of thing. Um, firstly, just to say that I would recommend snacking at any time of the day following any pursuit, with, <laughs> with, the, with the possible exception of showering, maybe, <laughs> only maybe. What's that? What to do with working environments? He said, the guy said, and should I snack or not? Oh, yes, coding? he did, yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, um, you can never go yes. wrong with snacking. Exactly, yes. Yes, of course. Provides energy, amusement, something to do with your hands, all those kind of things. What, Shouldn't what, what your what
0: hands could... actually be coding or something?
1: Yeah, I, can't, I thought good coders could do it with one hand. That <laughs> sounds slightly iffy, doesn't it? That so sounds I'm going, to, I'm going to move on now. <laughs> My first heading is entitled Mess Versus Tidy. Um, and this refers to Paul's comment about going to look at the blog. Um, I've been brave and posted a picture of my office in its current disgusting state onto the site. It's appalling, No question. <laughs> I hate it like this. I really do hate it like this. It's driving me mad. And I keep talking about tidying it up, but I reckon it will take at least a week to do it. And I, that's not an exaggeration. I reckon this is five days' work. And that's mostly the paperwork. I reckon it's a, probably a day's worth of dusting, hoovering, getting rid of the rubbish. But, but your I office
0: is tiny. How is it possible that it would take
1: five days? That's one of the... Because everything has to come out. It's also... You've got to remember it's a studio as well as, a, as my office. It's full of... Uh, oh, there's 80 percent of the 100 percent of music equipment in here i don't need 80 percent of it and right. i need to be you know strong and, and get rid of it um but i can't because it's i'm attached to this twenty twenty five 25 year old kit. but uh that's i'm i'm moving off off track um the point i guess is and this is what the questioner was asking is uh does it make me any less productive and I don't know the answer to that. My instant answer is, of course not. I get the job done. You know, I always do. La, la, la. But um, I'm sure I would rather be in here if it was really tidy. Uh, So it's possible that I would get more done. I would be more likely to do that bit extra if it was tidier. So, yes, keep it tidy. It shouldn't be a mess.
0: We're so different, aren't we? (laughs) My desk is completely minimalistic. It has a monitor on, a keyboard, a mouse... I do have a picture of my son. I have an in-tray and out-tray, and you're going to really laugh at this. I have an in-tray in and an out-tray. Seriously, I have an in-tray and out-tray. And um, they've never got more than one or two items in because they get processed because I'm in sure. getting things done. And I also have what I call a landing strip, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is... Which is basically that also another, sounds iffy, but there you go. Carry it, on.
0: Which is another—it's basically another little box where, whenever I walk into the house, I dump my keys, my wallet, my phone, so that I always know where they are when I leave the house. Because I'm so inherently disorganized and I've got such a poor memory that if I didn't do that, I'd never be able to find them every time I leave the house. And I always—before I had that—I always used to spend hours searching for my keys before I could
1: leave. I'll never lose my keys, ever.
0: Well, you've got really good memory, that's the thing.
1: Yeah, but it's not helping me here. But I don't believe there is any real benefit to working in this type of squalor that I'm in. (laughs) No, Um, no. how could there possibly
0: be a benefit? Well, the guy
1: asked, he said, you know, should should it be a kind of like your own mess that you work in? But I don't think there is any (laughs) advantage to it at all. It's really easy when you first set up an office Not to bother spending the tiny amount in relative terms of time required to organize yourself like Paul has. This is a mistake. File stuff away regularly in a sensible way. If you don't, well, just go and look at the picture.
0: I'll tell you another thing with filing is keep it simple. You know, yeah, so many people come up with these over-the-top filing systems. I have like a basic A to Z file. You know, and it, and just
1: on, I beat that. I have a filing system, Paul. Yeah, but yours is just a big pile on the floor. <laughs> it's 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 called the floor. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the floor or the bin, basically. It <laughs> either goes in the bin e- immediately, or oh, I'm, I ought to keep that. I'm... Actually, no, it's slightly more complicated than that. The floor is to be filed because I should keep it. The bin is I don't need that, and on top of my desk is stuff I really should deal with at some point. There you go.
0: Why are you the person doing this segment? <laughs> it's like one of those this is not what not, this is not, this is what not to do segments, isn't it? Basically. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But it covers more than just mess and, and you know, mess over tidy. There's, there's more to it. Let's move on from that. Okay. Because I'm ashamed. Just go see the picture. Yeah. Um, music versus silence. Now, for me, the musician, I, it has to be silence. Um, I'm not sure why, but I think it's because I do mostly writing rather than designing and coding and stuff like that. Which may it may be good to have music on while you're doing those kind of that kind of work, but I, I don't do that. And trying to write, I find really hard uh, with music on. I, I also think um, it's because I listen to the music rather than it just being in the background. And um, when I was writing this, it occurred to me this either shows a weak mind or that I have an outstanding empathy for the musical arts you choose.
0: (laughs) See, now, for me, I'm, I'm neither of those. I'm not music or silence. I'm very specific that I can listen to music. And, in fact, I like having music on as long as it doesn't have lyrics. Because otherwise I end up typing what I'm hearing.
1: Uh, no, it doesn't matter. What it, it, the only thing I can just about cope with, as long as it's just as long as I'm not into something uh, you know, that I really have to concentrate on, I can cope with the cricket commentary. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, because, uh, whatever.
0: Anyway, n- next. Because cricket is so boring that it doesn't distract.
1: Uh, maybe. I'm not going to go into that with you, Paul, because there's no point. Because <laughs> no. you wouldn't understand what I was saying.
0: No, you'd be using words
1: like googlies. <laughs>
0: Is that right? Is that right terminology?
1: That is, well, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't normally use it in the plural, but I guess you could.
0: It sounds funnier in the plural.
1: Go on, go on with the next segment. Other people. Move on, move on. Other people, yes. One thing that the questioner didn't um, get into was whether or not it's good to work with other people around you. Um, I think that the healthiest option here is to mix that up. Um, working on your own all the time, as we've both done for years, it's great with regards to getting things done. You can really hone in on a task and give it your all. Um, but I think this, and I'll come off this in a minute, it, it can get a bit unhealthy being on your own all the time. Our office, uh, is, it's an open plan office, and there's anywhere between about four and ten people in there at any one time. And I really struggle to write in that environment, so I couldn't be in there all the time, um, uh, mainly because I'm too tempted to talk to other people. But working on, on your own all the time, I reckon, is counterproductive. Yeah. Um, you're far less likely to bounce ideas around and learn new stuff. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, teams, teams of people tend to be more focused and productive if they work together regularly. Mm.
0: It's interesting, um, that, isn't it? Because that's very topical for us, bearing in mind is. that we had a conversation yesterday where we were, we were basically told off by one of, our, um, one of the people that work at Headscape that we weren't in the office enough so i've now committed to going in a day a week and i have to say i'm really excited about it i think it's gonna be really good mm. and I, I would i'm even tempted to build it up from a, t- a day to more because I, I think it's yeah it's good anyway carry it's, on it's
1: right. yeah um working on your own for years can i, I think can lead to a form of stagnation mm. uh and a it's not sort of like you're incapable of doing anything. Not It's not sort of writer's block, but it's more a case of, um, I call it, staring out of the window, window syndrome. Because um, if you don't fancy a particular task, this is me anyway, and I tend sort of to, to measure how much I want to do a job by how much tea I'm making. Mm. So I find myself wandering down the stairs, tea, yes. Whereas if I'm into the job, I'll get on with it here. Whereas if I was in an office environment working with other people, I'd just get on with it, whether it was something I fancied or not. So I think it can... You can get it's not laziness, it's just it, it is a form of stagnation. It's, um, I can't really describe it any better than that. <laughs> and the next title is amusing me already. How to organize your day.
0: <laughs> do you organize your day?
1: I don't. Again, this is a, a real, really bad example. This is how not to do it from Marcus. Um, I tend to check email as it comes oh, in no. and, and I respond to um, instant messenger and phone calls immediately. And I think pretty much everyone would uh, respond to a phone call immediately, but I would never. Uh, let it go to the asking machine. It, I have to. Yeah, I can't
0: but help that's it. Part, yeah, that's part of your job as well. I mean, you're a salesperson. Yeah. Fundamentally. And I, I, so you, you kind of, you know, if, if, if someone calls you, they expect
1: an answer. Yes, exactly. But you know, probably, I, I think that every every email, every phone call is a is a great lead. But probably, you know, one in a hundred is. Hmm. Um, but that's just my mentality, I suppose. You tend to sort of block out chunks of time for tasks and won't let yourself get interrupted.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so at the beginning time. of the day, uh, beginning of the day, I do. I, I have the I, I use the getting things done methodology. So, at the beginning of the day, I go through the, my list of tasks, identify what I need to do for that day. Um, and I block out, yeah, chunks of time to do those things. Um, I check email a couple of times a day. Maybe, no, a bit more than that, actually. It's a bit unfair. Um, I tend to not have instant messaging open as, uh, anywhere near as much as anybody else. But it has to be said, I, the kind of work that I do is quite, you know, I don't interact with other people in perhaps the same way as, say, a developer or a designer would have to do. So you know, I, I don't need to be as available. I can be more selective. So it does depend on your job.
1: Yeah, to a certain extent. But I I think if if you can be organised and kind of do things in a in a in a set way, you're going to be more productive than mm. the yeah. flitting about method that I do. <laughs> Finally, just to say that we're all different. That's fairly obvious, just from uh, listening to Paul and I. Um, I think yeah, the main thing. you wrong,
0: to re- and I'm right.
1: Uh, on this one possibly (laughs) yeah only possible uh but the main thing to recognize is that with working environments we're all different and we we react differently to different situations some people like to lock themselves away um whereas others feel lonely working on their own i remember we interviewed a a designer that we wanted to work with a long time ago and this was when we didn't have any office at all and we all worked from home and we thought this was something that people would jump at Um, you know everyone surely wants to work out of their own back bedroom but she said no I'd find it really lonely and I couldn't cope with doing that every day of the week sorry and that was the only reason she wouldn't work with us. so Mm. you know people people need different things Um, and I think employers need to recognize this and obviously within reason uh, try to provide the best environments for their staff on an individual basis yes and that's me for this week
0: good segment like that segment a lot thank you very much Marcus just don't do anything Marcus does and you'll be fine
1: I'm going to show you a picture once I've tidied it up, and it'll probably be Christmas. I've got two weeks off at Christmas, and it's going to happen then. Yeah, seriously. Do it, and then post it. We'll post it on the site.
0: So I thought I'd talk about usability testing today. We've never actually done a segment on kind of how to run a usability test session so i thought that would be a good subject to cover now
1: you're sure about that
0: yeah we've never really got into usability testing properly as a discussion
1: it's something i do quite a lot of
0: yeah i'm amazed but i certainly can't find any reference to it and so in particular i thought well there's a lot written about usability testing you know both online and offline um However, except for, say, something like Don't Make Me Think, um, which is a book by Steve Krug, um, they they all kind of make it sound very complicated and expensive and a bit off-putting, really. So I thought I'd do a kind of BOAG world guide to bargain basement usability testing. So kind of imagine a scenario where your boss refuses to pay for usability testing. You've got no budget of your own to spend on it, um, and yet you're kind of determined to make your site as easy to use as possible. You know, what do you do? How do you get around that problem? Now, I think that there is a perception that usability testing is time-consuming and expensive to do, but it doesn't really need to be that way. The key is to do a little and often, therefore catching problems before they become too complex to change, really. Um, And I would suggest that you start by doing some usability testing on the initial design concepts or even rough sketches that you do right at the beginning, Test again when you've got a more detailed information architecture um, or a basic wireframe and then test yet again once you've got, um, you know, the majority of content in place and then do one final round of testing before you go live. And look, I know that that sounds like a heck of a lot, but it it isn't really... um, but it would be if you were talking about large number of participants um, who exactly match your target audience, and you had to find all those people. And if you were using, you know, you were testing using an expensive usability suite that cost a lot of money, and you were talking about cameras and observation areas and all that kind of stuff. However, with a kind of bargain basement approach to usability testing, you could kind of make up for the quality that perhaps you'd get of. Um, you know doing it the expensive way by by quantity by testing lots by doing multiple rounds you can probably pick up more problems than you would get from a single round done with all the kind of expensive techniques so um for bargain basement usability testing all you need is five or six friends or random strangers a desk a chair a computer and a notepad that's it so let's look at those different elements um, and see where they take us. So picking your users. So let's start at looking at the users that you're going to test with. First of all, you don't need to match the exact demographic of your user group that you're trying to, to reach you know, in your testing. Um, it can be very time-consuming to find people that match your target audience. Instead, just grab anyone. doesn't matter who, friends, family, random strangers, people you met on the street whoever just grab anybody you can find the reality is that the majority of usability problems are going to be generic across all audiences sure if you've got a friend that meets the criteria um, of the people that you're trying to reach through your website then all the better but don't get hung up on it best to test somebody um, than to test nobody at all okay so also don't bother getting too many people you don't really need more than five or six The more you have um, doesn't equate to the better testing. Beyond five or six, you don't really catch any more problems um, than if you had, you know, 15 particularly. Um, It isn't worth the additional time of finding and rounding up those people and testing them. You're better off just testing a few people and fixing those problems and then testing again. Because what happens is, is that. You know, if you say just do one round of testing with 15 people, everybody gets hung up on the first one or two problems. And so you don't discover other problems buried deeper in the site because they've just got stuck on that one problem. While if you do um, just test with five people, you still find that one problem, then you fix that problem and people can find new problems deeper in the site. That kind of makes sense. So five or six people, multiple rounds of testing, don't worry too much about demographics. Next, let's look at the environment. There is no need for, uh, to test in a usability lab. In fact, I would go as far as arguing that the best place to test people is where they normally surf the net. If, uh, if possible, go to their home or their office and test on their own PC. That way, they feel more relaxed and are more likely to behave normally than having lots of cameras you know, pointed in their direction and two-way mirrors and all that kind of stuff. If you can't do that, then just sit them down in front of your own PC and test them there. You don't need a camera and you don't need observation areas. Simply sit with them and jot down things as you go along. If you've got a colleague or um, somebody else that you can get to join you and take notes, then all the better. But really, that is optional. Okay, so what do you do in the test session itself? Well, to be honest, this isn't rocket science either. What you can do is largely dictated by what you've got to show. When all you've got is a couple of design concepts, the best thing you can really do is ask the user what they would click on to complete a certain task. Um, You can also ask them if they can quickly spot certain screen elements using the same techniques that we've spoken about before when we talked about design testing. Um, As you've got more to show, then you can ask people to complete maybe more complex tasks. You can ask them to find a specific page within your wireframe, for example, or you can ask them what they'd expect to find under a certain section on, you know, the site map that you've created. Your job is to watch how they kind of interact with each other um, and to note where they struggle. Now, this is important. The key to the process is to encourage them to kind of articulate their thinking as they go along. Users will often sit kind of there staring blankly at the screen if they get stuck. You need to ask them what options they're considering and why they're struggling. So get them talking. Encourage them to talk.
1: Thinking out loud.
0: Yeah, thinking out loud, basically, yeah. Before they click on anything, ask them why they've made the choice they did and what options they've rejected and why. The idea is to get them talking as much as possible about what they're doing. Fundamentally, that is it. Obviously, you could write a lot more on the subject, and there are certainly people that have written a heck of a lot more on the subject. But if you boil it down to its basics, you're talking about getting five or six random people to sit in front of a computer, look at the site, and ask them com- to complete a series of tasks um, while talking about their thinking. It's not difficult. And so I have to ask the question, why do people pay you so much, Marcus, to do usability testing? You're obviously <laughs> ripping them off. That's what I've got to say. Um, oh, actually, no, there is one more thing I want to say. Um, which you just remembered. Um, I had a uh, had a really interesting link sent through to me by a guy called Tom, who's a Boag World listener. And it's um, – check it out, Marcus, actually. If you've got a browser window open, um, go along to usertesting.com. Absolutely incredible, this. I mean, I haven't tried it yet. It could be absolutely pants. But if you've got no budget to spend or your very limited budget, this is one way of doing it, right? So for $19 per user, right – So let's say Mm -hmm. you tested five users, what would that be, $95? Then you can basically um, pay $95, and they will ask five users to go along to your site um, to complete certain tasks that you give them, and that is all recorded on a video, and they will talk about what they're thinking as they do that. And then you're also given a written review describing the problems that they found. Now, I'm sure it's not as good as actually doing the testing yourself. It's not as interactive. You don't, you know, you can't kind of adjust your questions as you go along. You can't see their emotional responses to stuff, any of that. So it's not as good as doing it yourself. But if you're really strapped for time and cash, then, that, then maybe that that's an option. So thanks, Tom, for sending that link in. Looks, looks interesting, doesn't it, Marcus?
1: Yeah, my only concern with that is you don't know who's testing your site, and it could be the same five people do the testing for every single site. They are therefore experts. Yeah, yeah. Um, s- yes, mm. that's a fair comment.
0: But, you know, I just thought I'd mention it because it was an interesting thing, Um and we, we had some good comments on that on that particular article. So, again, go oh. check those out. Okay, let's move on.
1: Right. 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 Right.
0: Okay so as I said at the beginning of the show we don't have an ask the expert this um week but I wanted to review a, a information architecture ch- tool really um now this this is interesting Marcus, you must have the same problem as I do right mm. that you have to do kind of site hierarchies lots basically a site map an information architecture that the client then signs off correct yep loads what do you what do you use as the tool to create those Excel. Use Excel. So you do it like as a, you know, as a spreadsheet type thing.
1: If it's, a, if it's a small site, I might do it in a pretty way using Visio. But right. generally for big complicated sites, Excel. Where does, where does Visio fall down on those big complicated sites? Uh, you can't get it. It kind of does it page by page. You've only got A4 to play with. If you yeah. like. So you've kind of uh, got
0: limited space to work with. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I've got to say, I think this is a real problem that, um, you know, I've never managed to find a tool that I like for creating site hierarchies and getting them signed off. Um, however, I think I might have found something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is
0: interesting. It is interesting. So, you know, I I, I I don't think I'm asking for very much. All I want is a simple tool for creating site maps that I can show to the client and get them to sign off the site hierarchy. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, perhaps I'm a little bit more demanding than this. This is my list of stuff that, that I want. I didn't actually include the one that you just said, which is, you know, something that can accommodate, you know, more than an A4's page worth of sitemap, you know. But mm-hmm. but here's my list. Um, that it's got to be easy to use and doesn't have too many unnecessary options to get in the way, all right? So, you know, um, some tools like even Visio... You know, it, it starts drawing, you know, you have to draw the arrows between the boxes and, you know, there's different styles. And it's all just gets, you know, it's not pro- primarily designed just for this task, is it?
1: Visio is very, very complicated. Yeah. You can make it, un- you know, it, it draws, well, you can draw office plans with it and all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, which means it kind of slows you, can slow you down a bit. Yep. Um, it needs to look nice so that I can show it to the client and it looks professional. It needs to be which able to print exactly out. Doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be able to print well. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be able to save in a format that the client can easily see, right? Agreed. Which again, with Visio, um, yeah. you know, it's not great if you don't already have Visio. Um, and in an ideal world, it should be able to also be collaborative. That the client should be able to make changes to it, and you should be able to see what's going on. That kind of stuff. So that that's kind of my 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 list. And sure, there are a lot of site tools around, but they seem to always fall down in one or more of the categories. So we've already mentioned Visio. There's something for the Mac called um, OmniGraphall. That, that you know, they're great, but they seem a bit overly complicated. Um, and there are simpler products out there as well. But to be honest, they seem to create the damnedest, ugliest site maps you've ever seen. Um, and there are even a few online tools which are, are, are pretty simple. Um, and nice at producing sitemaps, but they always seem to mess up you know, when it comes to, say, printing. So a while back, I received an email from a guy who has developed a sitemap tool called Rightmaps um, that is actually available. Let me just check the URL um, to make sure I get it 100% right. So it's rightmaps.com, and that's right as in W-R-I-T-E. Um, so writemaps.com. Now, it, 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 so he sent me this email, and I took a look at, look at it, hoping that it might meet my criteria, but unfortunately it didn't. So I wrote a polite email back say, explaining that, because he wanted me basically to promote it on the show. Uh, so I wrote a polite email back explaining that I felt there was more work to be done on it before I'd be willing to kind of endorse it and mention it on the show. And, and I thought that would be the last I heard from him. However, recently he, he's kind of written back, and he's done a complete overhaul of the product. And I have to say, it's superb. Um, if you're kind of, you know, you've got similar requirements to those that I've listed above, then this tool is definitely worth looking at. So let's go through those requirements and look at them a minute. Easy to use. It's got a simple, clean interface that requires minimal effort to create a sitemap. Okay. Let me me actually send you a link, uh, Marcus, so you can look at it, right? I'm I'm logging in. No. Oh, have you got a username and password? No, that's what I was getting. Oh, you don't need to. Right? Because it's got a collaborative feature built into it. So what I've done there is I've just pinged you a URL, um, which uh, I, I've made one of my sitemaps shareable. Okay? But it's, so you can go in and look at the sitemap, right? So, you know, it's easy to use. It's got very, very clean interface, and you should be able to go in and add pages and stuff like that very easily. I think you'd agree, Marcus, visually attractive? Very, yeah. Yeah, looks really attractive. And, um, you know, it's something that I'd be more than happy to show any of my clients. The only downside maybe is that you can't differentiate between different types of pages. So all the pages look the same. And maybe you'd want a page for, a, you know, that looks different if it's a dynamic page or if it's for a news section or, or whatever. But yeah, I've been chatting with him over that, and it, it's something that he's kind of open to do. However, overall, I think it looks great. It prints really well. And although the printing um, isn't perfect, it, it's pretty good. Um, uh, I did encounter some small rendering issues, um, uh, which I also encountered, by the way, when you zoom in and out. However, overall, the result is very satisfactory. And again, he's read um, the blog post I've written on this um, and is working to kind of deal with those. (laughs) Um, It's also got lots of saving options, which I like. You can save it online, obviously. Um, You can also create a local backup, which is like, yay, really good. Um, and it'll even save it as XML, so you could bring it into things like Excel, for example, Marcus. Which That's is, good. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't allow you to save it as an image yet. Yet, but um, I guess it'd be easy enough to do a screen capture of it. You know, whatever. Um, you notice as well marcus i don 't know whether you can see this, but you know what you were saying about the the problem um, that you've got with um Vizio is it does you know it, it doesn't all fit on one page with this mm. if you see if you um you can uh you can expand and collapse. You see the little um,
1: yeah 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 I'm, pl- I'm playing with it yes. yeah
0: so you can expand and collapse um, individual pages uh, sections so you can hide away pages if they if they you know if they're not doing what you want it to do etc.
1: It would so, be nice to be able to drag it when it was moved, zoomed in.
0: Yeah, that somebody made a comment on 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 that about dragging and, and, and dragging and dropping pages around as well. So he, he's working on all these things, but I have to say, I think it's now reached a point where it's actually good enough. You can also view it instead of just a sitemap, map. You can view it as like a, a indented list as well, yeah. and and the fact that you can share it like this. So you didn't have to create an account or anything like that. You just went along to that that special URL I set, gave you. And I can share it either with editing turned on or turned off. Um, so, you know, really good, really useful tool for creating sitemaps. And here's the, um, you know, here's the, the, the killer test, Marcus.
1: Would you mm-hmm. use this, do you reckon? I need to do it on an actual project, probably, is, uh, is the answer to that.
0: I think you ought to try it because I think it's really good. You can add notes to individual pages. Um, And even associate a page on here with a live website page if you want to refer to another page, you know, on on maybe an existing site.
1: Um, Do you need to refresh to see any edits I've done?
0: Let's have a look. Um, Have you? Yes, I think I probably will do. Let me see what happens if I refresh. Did you actually save it? Um,
1: No. I've just changed it, and
0: yeah, I think try saving it. Go file save. So save successful. Okay, now let me try refreshing it. This is an interesting experiment. We probably shouldn't be doing this live on the air when everybody's waiting around to see what will happen. It's loading it. Yeah, yes, and those those changes have now appeared. So. Yeah, basically you need to refresh it. But that's that's cool. Okay. What are you laughing at? My changes. Well, Paul SME. What else have you
1: changed? Uh, home hyphen Paul Smells.
0: Ah, oh, you see, now, <laughs> that's really funny. He's truncated <laughs> it for me. So I'm reading Paul, it's so a home hyphen Paul SME, and I didn't see the smells bit. <laughs> The playground humour
1: didn't get through.
0: But. No, that's interesting. Then, so it's cropping the in the titles. You can't have too long titles. It's, so it's not perfect, but it's pre, I think it's pretty damn good. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's certainly better than anything else I've found. So um, check that out. See what you think of it. And that's rightmaps.com. Right. Sorry. maps dot com.
1: Well, I have a an IA project coming up. Well, I need to, need to start it this week. So there you
0: go okay. try it out well, and then let us know how it works on a real pro- uh, project and see what you think of it
1: okay
0: cool okay so that about finishes today's show marcus do you have a joke for us
1: i do a quick one this is a uk only joke i'm afraid um it's called it's entitled desert island discs
0: does that Just mean that young... anybody that's not in the uk now has to
1: kind of you know stop the podcast I'll say it, then I'll explain it. Because so I've explained it first, I can, I'll kind of give it away. Okay, go. It's for all, it. I've already put too much effort into it. It's not that good a joke. But there you go. Okay. There's ever- Kirsty Young's next guest guest is Alistair Darling. However, the program will be shorter than usual because he's lost four of the eight records.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is to quite explain, funny. Yeah. To explain, right, uh, Desert Island Discs is um, it's a radio show that's been going for years and years and years, and Kirsty Young is the, the new presenter of it, uh, where they get a celebrity in and they have to play, they, they play their eight favourite records. And So if
0: they them. got stranded on Desert Island, what eight records <laughs> would they take with them? Yeah. Although why they um, would take records, I don't know, but anyway.
1: Alistair Darling is the UK Chancellor of the Ch- Exchequer, so basically the guy who's in charge of the money, um, and... That kind of thing. Um, but what's happened is his de- or the, one of the departments he's responsible for has lost 25 million, is that right? I think yeah, 25 million around. bank records on two CDs that were just thrown in the post. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's like 25 million UK bank records just floating around in the ether. Somebody you will know, have name. them somewhere. Apparently you can buy them online now. Can you, you can really? Buy, yeah, you can buy bank details.
0: How disturbing scary, is that? Ah, uh, go on. You can go on a political rant if you want, Marcus. Because you you nearly went off on of one yesterday. You got quite scary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not doing it now. Anyway, so that that wraps up today's show. Before Marcus completely loses uh, the plot. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. Really enjoyed today's show. Don't forget the Clear Left Compos- competition. Um, we've, uh, we're have still accepting entries for that um, if you didn't hear last week's show you have to go back and listen to last week's show or at least go to the show notes for last week's show to find out about how to enter that um, check out everything to do with uh, this podcast at boagwill.com forward slash podcast and we'll speak to you again next week, thanks for listening bye